Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast, we are back. It's been a very exciting week in the NBA. East versus West, some heavyweight battles. We had Sixers and Jazz and the Bucks and the Clips on Wednesday, even though uh, our man Kawhi didn't play. We've got the Bucks and the Jazz, Sixers and Nuggets coming up on Friday night. We've got a guest today, Keith Pompey, who covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. We uh, taped with him early on Thursday, and uh, as of Thursday early evening, Yahoo Sports is now reporting that Ben Simmons is expe- is expected to miss at least three games. I think that's about as good as uh, Philly could have hoped for at this point. Uh, BJ, when dealing with uh, an injury like this for someone like Simmons, uh, what needs to the appro- be the approach here for uh, Philly and the organization? Well, let's hope it's nothing substantial. And this is, you know, great news for Philadelphia that he will only be out for three games. We don't want this to linger on. And uh, but we'll see how this plays itself out. You know, things when you have shoulders, sometimes it has a way of going from three games to five games and so forth and so on. So let's hope this is a, uh, a short time that he'll miss. He'll get back in the lineup and start playing uh, playing again. But we'll, we'll see how it plays out. For sure. For sure. So Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer. Hope you enjoy the time with him. Lots of contenders to dig into early in the season. One team, obviously, that's making a, a lot of news because of the expectations, the talents, and the personas on the team, the Philadelphia 76ers. Pleased to welcome now. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say – you are now a veteran, Keith. Uh, Keith Pompey, 76ers beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's been uh, covering the Sixers for 15 years. He joins BJ and I right now. Keith, how's it going out there on the road? Uh, it's, it's going well. I mean, other than flight delays, you know, everything is, everything is you know, normal. Actually, that is a normal thing. <laughs> Unfortunately for all of us, that is a, a normalcy of what we do. Uh, covering the game, traveling around the country, and uh, I, I'm pleasantly surprised when uh, I am not delayed at this point. But uh, great to have you on. Obviously, the Sixers right now uh, finishing up a four-game road trip Friday night in Denver. Uh, they started with an impressive, uh, thrilling win in Portland, have lost tough ones to, to Phoenix and Utah uh, on the road. Um, what is this team learning about itself, Keith, uh, on this trip? You know, it's learning that, you know, you just can't put talent together and expect to win. I mean, this team still has to learn how to get an identity. I mean, we all know, like, what Joel Embiid can do. But it just seems like it's two different teams when he plays and when he doesn't play. You know, also, it's one of those things where, you know, they need to figure out, like, how are they going to utilize um you know, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid all together at the same time. They also are learning that right now that, you know, they need to get a, a consistent scorer off the bench. Um, and right now, with Ben Simmons being hampered, you know, who's going to be the point guard? So they have a lot of questions that has to be answered. I do think that they're going to be there contending for the Eastern Conference um, title. Um, but at right now, it's one of those things where they got so many different parts and they're realizing that these two trips that they just can't show up and win games. Keith, this is B.J. Armstrong. Again, I want to thank you for jumping on, but I got to get right to it with you. Are the Philadelphia 76ers, are they pretenders or are they contenders? And if they are I, contenders, tell us why. You know what? It, it, it's 
I think they're contenders. I'm not going to say they're pretenders. I think they're contenders just because of the talent that they have right now. Um, you know, but right now, I don't know if they're the best team in the East. I don't think they are, you know, because, you know, the thing that I just said, like, they don't have a guy, like, when they had Jimmy Butler, they knew they had an alpha dog who was going to take over games. J.J. Reddick, they knew they had a sniper, a guy who would come down and hit threes. They don't really have that right now. You know, you have Joel Embiid. He's a, a great player, arguably the best center in the game right now. But you really can't go to him in the in in the clutch. It, too much has to happen. So they need like talk guys up. like to buy out. You know what? Because I think I think that in in, in my opinion is like to covering his team for years. You know, it's like it just seems like Joel turns the ball over a little bit too much. I think a lot has to go right for him to get the ball in certain spots, and it takes so much time. I feel like they're better suited like last year, Jimmy Butler. What they did is they would inbounds the ball to him, they would spread the floor, and let Jimmy go to work. You know, and, and I think that for this team, when you have all these guys, I think that's what you need. Now, again, I'm, I'm not saying that Joel is not the best player on the, on the team, but I think that nowadays you need a perimeter player who's going to be a closer just because there's so much that has to go right when you're trying to feed the post with a big guy, you know, late in the game, especially a big guy who turns the ball over at a high rate. The game is now a game outside in, right? You see all the perimeter players, which you alluded to earlier. Can you win? going inside out because Joel Embiid, as you put, is their best player. Can you win with a guy in the inside in today's game and you watch them every game, you cover the team, is that possible to win with a big like Joel Embiid? You know, I mean, it's weird because, you know, when Tim Duncan was there, I know it was a little bit different and they said they won with him and they did win with him and they did win with David Robinson but they always had some perimeter guys to help. And, you know, Brett Brown believes that this is something that they can do. I mean, we see if they can. It's to be determined. But at the same time, you know, it's not going to be at their side. Um, Now, here's the thing. They can win with a big guy, but I think guys like Tobias Harris is going to have to have a major say in it. Um, you know, Ben Simmons is going to have to go out there and hit a couple threes and, and, and make people play them honest. Because if not, all you're going to do is just crowd the paint and, and, and you're just going to make things, you know, rough for Al Horford and Joel Embiid. But, you know, Brett Brown, you know, he, he was saying some things beforehand when they were struggling. And I'm looking at him like the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And it worked out for him. And he honestly believes that Joel Embiid is their crown jewel, and he believes he's the one that's going to uh, get them to the championship. You know, Keith, to that point, um, you know, a lot of uh, expectation on uh, the shoulders of Ben Simmons, no pun intended. Uh, He has a collision Wednesday night in, in Utah. As we're listening to this Friday, there should be some sort of uh, firm diagnosis out there. But assuming Ben is going to miss a little time here, which is obviously uh, a good idea for cautionary reasons, especially with how he plays the game, um, this is a a right shoulder uh, potential injury here. And we know Ben uses the right hand a lot, both uh, to to shield the ball and and, and to finish uh, around the basket. So, uh, with Ben potentially missing time, does Al Horford uh, kind of plug in as the uh, playmaking front court guy that he was in Boston, even more so from the high post with Ben out? How do you see that working for Philly if Ben's out of the lineup for a couple of weeks? You know, I, I think that with, with I mean, it, he could do that, but I think that we'll look more at Josh Richardson to do that. Because when Ben didn't play in the preseason, you know, Josh Richardson assumed the point guard duties. He also is the – I mean, he's basically the backup point guard. He starts at the two. He's the backup point. And it just seems like they were running a lot through him. The problem is, you know, with the 76ers, they stagger so much to whereas, you know, Al Horford is actually the backup center as well. 
So I think that is one of those things where they don't want to put too much on his plate. And also the guy, Howell Neto, you know, he's been getting a, lo- a lot of burn as of late. Um, at first, Brett Brown didn't know what he had in him. Now they're getting a little bit of confidence in him. So I I kind of think that it's going to be Josh Richardson. They also have another young guy by the name of Shake Milton who was who was getting a lot of play. The, the thing is, he's been injured. He should come off the injury um, on Tuesday's game. I expect him to play then. So it's one of those things where I, I get your question, and, and, and I think that would be great for the Sixers, but they're not a deep group. And I think because of that, they're not going to want Al to, uh, you know, to overexert themselves a little bit too much. Keith, it's, it's fair to say I think this is a this team was constructed with the idea of we're competing for a championship. Mm-hmm. Who's the leader? Who's the leader of this team? You know what? Group? When when you when you when you say the leader of this group, I would have to give it to Tobias Harris. Now we know that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are the two best players. But as far as, like, the guy who, who okay, who organizes the off-the-court stuff, the guy who makes sure that all the rookies and everyone else goes to chapel, the guy who, like, has the loudest voice in the room, that is Tobias Harris. Now, on the court, of course, the leader is Joel, but as far as off the court, it's Tobias. And I would say that Al, Al Horford would be a second, but Al is kind of letting Tobias you know, be that guy. You know, I always like the the older uncle who oversees everything, but Tobias has been the vocal guy of this group. Keith, as I sit here in my uh, worn and weathered Celtics t-shirt, I have a hard time discussing Al Horford and leadership uh, stemming from last season's <laughs> disappointment. Uh, a lot of respect for the guy. I just wish he had a a louder voice in the room last season, but it, it seems like the personas in Philly, um, you know, how he balances out Embiid, and obviously uh, he's seen so much in the league that he'll be able to share his experiences with guys. And, you know, one thing that I, I find fascinating is, um, you know, Philly's season last year came down to literally – how the ball bounced on the rim and through the basket uh, with Kawhi's miraculous shot uh, in Toronto. We'll never know how overtime would have played out and how the history of basketball could have changed if uh, there were five extra minutes on on that game clock. So, you know, let me ask you, how how much of that is fueling this Sixers team, um, you know, fueled them through the offseason and is fueling them this season? Because, yeah, you've got some returning guys, obviously the core of Embiid, Simmons and Harris, but a lot of new faces. Uh, how, how are they utilizing that experience last year to drive them through the 1920 season? I mean, they're saying that they are, they're, they're doing it a lot, but the one thing that you pointed out that there's a lot of new faces. I mean, if you really think about it, the, the three guys, well, there's probably five guys on this team who received a lot of play last year in that playoff series. That's, you know, Tobias Harris, that's Ben Simmons, that's Joel Embiid, that's Mike Scott, and that's James Ennis. But then they have a lot of other guys who, you know, they're just going along with it saying, hey, this team is going to be good and we're going to win a championship. We we hope to win a championship. So as much as it's a great storyline and you hear, you know, Joel Embiid say, yes, that fueled me this summer. You hear Ben Simmons saying, yes, that fueled me this summer. But what else are they going to say? You know what I mean? And and I think that it's one of those things, just to be real with y'all, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to wait and see. And there's a lot of new guys. And then let's face it, as much as it fueled them, this team, you know, like last year, if they would have kept Jimmy Butler, if they would have kept J.J. Redick, I would have said, yeah, because they had the whole team intact. But now the only people who are really back are five guys who got legitimate playing time last season. So as much as they have the same uniforms and all that, it's typically a different team when you when you take away, you know, Tobias, Ben, and, and, and Joel. You know, it just so much has been talked about, you know, Ben Simmons' talent. We see his talent. I mean, he's 6'10 or so. He plays multiple positions. Ben Simmons, let's say five years from now, who is he 
really is he a one, two, three, four, in your opinion? And can he be the best player on your team and win the championship? Is he a number one guy or number two guy? I would, it's a two-part question, I know, but what, what, what is he really? You mean number one or number two position or the second best player on the team? What, what, uh, what position is he? And can, is he the number one guy, the number two guy? Where, where does he fall into the pecking order of, of a championship caliber team? We see his talent. You know, now, if, if you say five years from now, five years from now, I will say that Ben Simmons will be a one. You know, right now there are certain really? people who are saying, I mean, I would say that because I think that in five years from now that I think that he can develop a jump shot. I think so. I think that, you know, sometimes you got to fail. Sometimes you think you failed, you hit rock bottom, but you didn't. Now, and, and so if I look at him now, he looks like a guy who's learning the point, trying to learn the point guard position. And it's stuff like that, like, you know, you were a point guard. It's stuff like that that it just doesn't happen overnight. You you are born a point guard. But I'm thinking I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt to where I think that he's going to put in the work and do what he has to do. Now, when I look at Ben Simmons and I see some of the things that he can do, and I always keep saying to myself, if this guy, you know, can get a jump shot and if he can do certain things, he is the best player on this team. He's better than mm. Joel Embiid if he can do that. And the reason why I'm saying that is, okay, so we see Joel Embiid. He's seven foot two. He's 285 pounds. He takes over a game. He does everything. But then we also see a lot of other big guys like that, like the guy in Denver. You know, a lot of people that who can do the same thing or who can like do similar type things with um, like that Joel can do. Now again, they may not be as dominant but they are. Then you take a Ben Simmons, a guy that's 6'10", 250 pounds, who's the fastest guy on the team, right, who can do a lot of things. All he has to do is nurture his game like, and, and then also start shooting jump shots. And if I think he right. does that, I think Ben Simmons can be the guy because sometimes I see him play and I'm like, wow, I can't believe he just did this. I can't believe he did that. But then you're also reminded that he was a power forward who didn't shoot threes because coming up, you know, power forwards didn't do that. He didn't have to stretch his game because he was so quick and he was always the best guy on the floor who, who was a matchup problem. And I think that once he steps out of his comfort zone, I think that he can be the best player on the team and one of the top players in the NBA. You know, Keith, I think a lot of our uh, younger audience will uh, not realize that a gentleman by the name of Irvin Magic Johnson came into the league and he supposedly couldn't shoot either. And we saw how he developed his game uh, from the perimeter. Obviously, a lot of comparisons because of body type and playing the position with, with Ben and Magic. Um, I think it's just going to take time and, and repetition for him. But you make great points on certain things Ben Simmons can do um at that position with that body with that frame that nobody else in this league could do um you know one thing that uh you know was hyped right away and we saw it all over social media as soon as uh the butler deal happened and richardson came back orford was signed everyone's talking about the size and length of the sixers and um you know obviously uh, and, and BJ will be the first one to tell you this. Uh, there's a few things you got to do well in this league to win and, and win at a high level and ultimately compete for a championship and is, is rebounding. Uh, are the Sixers making uh, being that dominant team on the glass and in the paint, are they, are they making that a, a real priority this season to be part of their, their identity and, and DNA to, to move forward? Yes, they are. They, they are. They, they're just trying to do that. And it's, it's weird because, you know, now in today's NBA, you know, you, you typically don't have four guys charging after offensive rebounds because, you know, you're always worrying about transition defense. But that's what the Sixers are doing. You know, they, they, they want to pound the glass. They want to lead the league in rebounds, lead the league in offensive rebounds. And, and that's what they're doing. I mean, they want to play smash mouth 
you know, as Brett Brown says, we want to play smash mouth offense and bully ball defense, right? Um, yeah. But but at the same time, you know, that's great. And that's great. But you still do need to have somebody who can stretch the floor. And that's why I believe that the 76ers are going to go out there and they're going to make a trade. You know, either it could be, you know, early or it could be at the trade deadline or they could pick up someone in the buyout market because I do not think that the way this team is constructed at this particular time that they can get out of the East or that they can win a championship because they need some shooters on there. And I know they're developing some young guys, but I think you need a veteran guy who's been there before because, as you all know, the playoffs is a whole lot tougher than the regular season. J.R. Smith and Jamal Crawford are waiting in the wings right now. <laughs> they are waiting in the wings. I mean, and that, and let's, you know, listen, Philly's not going to go out there and make a dumb trade. So if, if they don't want to give up either that future asset or someone that they value for a shooter, then that's one way you know. I, I happen to think both guys could, could help Philly. And imagine right now with Ben Simmons being out for a little while, if you had Jamal Crawford coming off the bench for shot creation and obviously being a threat from the three-point line. Um, Keith, I want to end on this, and, and we'd, be, uh, we'd be fools if we, if we didn't bring this up, but uh, you, know, you got to cover one of the, the greatest players to ever uh, play the game. It, it was the, the end of the AI era in, in Philly, but, you know, what are your memories of covering AI? And uh, please share a great AI story with us if you've got one. You know, I mean, the thing about AI is the, the thing I liked about him is when you looked at his size. You know what I mean? You look at the guy, you know, he's listed, he's listed as 6'1", but I thought he was more like 5'10", 5'11", you know, and then he would just <laughs> go out there. He would just go out there and just get his work done. I mean, he would just do things. And as a little guy, he got so much respect from all the other players who were bigger. And you look at these young guys now, and, and you think about it, like, you know, AI was a guy who had the tattoos. He was the one who dressed the way he did. You look at most of these players now, a lot of guys got the number three jersey. A lot of guys have the tattoos. And, mm-hmm. like, the, big, the biggest thing that I can say about AI is when the Sixers went to Spain, right, a couple years ago, and AI had since retired. And so I I go to Bilbao, Spain, and I see these Spanish dudes, and I see a Chinese dude, different guy. They have the hair and cornrows. They got the pants sagging. They're rocking (laughs) some AI jerseys. And I'm looking at these dudes like, where did they come from? And it's like, you know, you realize that AI is a, was a global guy. You don't think of him that way, but he was. Right. Everyone loved his game. So that's my biggest memory. You know, bigger than anything that I saw him do on the court is the thing that seeing these people over in Spain going crazy over. Well, Keith, I would have loved to, to see AI's reaction to load management. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Hey, hey, doctor, I mean, he never wanted to come out of the game. I mean, forty I plus minutes a game for the majority of his career. I mean, just just unbelievable what Iverson was able to do in terms of longevity. And you know, we always hear Keith, you know, pound for pound, you know, toughest guy that ever played the game is is AI. True, true, and and and, and I agree. You know, I agree with that. You know, it's funny because I had an internship in. Uh, in Virginia, and you know, it, I met like AI's, uh, you know, high school football coach, and all the people down there like swore to me that he was a way better football player than a basketball player. So that get that tells you about the toughness, you know. So, and I believe it. I mean, because all these people are like, man, you don't know what you're talking about, Keith. You're saying he's a great basketball player. He's a better uh, football player. So. You know, that, that says a lot about his toughness and his grit and his desire. Yeah, I, I remember seeing uh, I remember seeing some of those football highlights. The, the guy was an, an absolutely incredible athlete and uh, arguably the fastest player I've ever seen uh, live at an NBA game. Uh, Keith Pompey, 76ers beat writer, Philadelphia Inquirer. We appreciate the time today with BJ and I, and uh, we'll visit with you again soon. Be, be safe out there on the road, all right? All right, fellas. Have a great day. You too, Keith. Great, thank, thank you. you.
So, BJ, lots of good stuff there from Keith Pompey. Obviously, Philadelphia is a team that was going to have a microscope on it regardless of an early season injury or not. Um, you know, th- there's some things here that need to be answered. It's uh, it's a perimeter guy. It's a closer. Um, you know, Simmons could potentially be their, their best player if he can develop a jump shot. I know you love the smash mouth offense, bully ball defense. <laughs> um, you know... I, I think, and we've talked about this with Golden State out of the picture this year, and the continued emergence of just these, you know, physically big, very gifted star on the rise players. Whether we're talking about Embiid, Jokic, Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, of course, Anthony Davis, um, size, length. And strength, I think, are going to find a way back into their game faster than many have thought because of how everything has been going with the three-point shot and everything being perimeter-oriented. How are you feeling about that? Well, Eric, um, you know, I was very fortunate to see kind of the transition from the game going from a game that was dominated by interior play to a game that was dominated by guards. And so now we have in the pace and space in the three-point era. So I've seen transitions from one era to a, to the other. The one thing, Eric, that stood out to me in the late 90s, I mean, in the late 80s, early 90s, was I saw Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons beat Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in his prime. Yeah. And that has always stood out to me. Isaiah Thomas was the last player to beat Michael Jordan in a playoff series in his prime. And that stood out to me of how important it was to manage a game, to be able to dictate the game, no matter what's going on during the game, whether you were an interior player like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Moses Malone, whomever. And when the game transitioned to the wing players, the Michael Jordan era, Still, the point guard, the importance of being able to manage the game will always be dictated by that ability. And Magic Johnson, even though he was 6'8", 6'9", and was a unique player because of his size, he had the uncanny ability to manage the game. And I say that to say the following. We're in an era now of pace and space, the three-point shooting, so forth and so on. But the game, in my humble opinion, will be a game that will be dictated by who can manage the game. And you need excellent guard play to do that. Now, we we spend a lot of time now in all of these scoring guards, right, whether it's James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, so forth and so on. But the truth of it is you have to manage the game on both sides of the, uh, both sides of the ball. And the team that has that ability will be the team, in my opinion, that will continue to win and continue to prosper even in this era. And I think that is what I'm looking for. And when I look at a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, great talent, they have size, they have length, they have all of these things. But what I see is they still need that player who can manage the game. Because in the playoffs, every position counts, every possession counts, and you have to be able to do that and do it at a high level. Yeah, it's 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 not so much based on size, but, you know, who, who is managing the game for you? Obviously, in Philadelphia, they're hoping Ben Simmons can be that guy. Al Horford can play that role a bit. He can definitely captain your defense. We've seen Draymond Green do that with Golden State. Of course, Kawhi Leonard. And the ultimate game manager uh, is LeBron James on his best day. So uh, I think that's a great point. And yeah. you, know, you, make, you make great points about play and and, you know speaking of guard play you know there's just so many explosive we we can't call them point guards anymore we've got we've got to come up with a new name we'll figure that out but curry went healthy westbrook harden lillard Kyrie, these guys who are just you know incredible shooters scorers playmakers from from that position whether you classify them as a one or a two it doesn't matter but even the younger guys coming up now you got Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell 23 years old Trey Young 21 Luka Doncic 20 
all of these guys are showing just flashes of brilliance. They have their own unique styles. They're all built a little bit differently. Uh, if you think about all three of them, BJ, if you just had them all as silhouettes, you could pretty much recognize who they are because of that body language. So let me put the question to you. Um, you got to pick one of four of those guys, Booker, Mitchell, Young, Luca. One of four to build your team around tonight, starting tonight. Who is it of those four? Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Trey, Trey Young, Luka yep. Doncic. Are those yep. the four? Those are good four to start off with. Um, yeah. If I had to, if I had to start my team today, Luka Doncic would be the player I would start with, and here's why: Luka Doncic has shown the ability to score the basketball. Scoring the basketball in today's game is not scoring the basketball like it was some twenty years ago because of the the possessions that you have. You know, you, these kids have extra possessions; they're playing the game at a different speed, so forth and so on. Luka Doncic is very unique in this sense. He is an excellent playmaker. He's not, he's not good at it. He's an excellent playmaker. And he can do it from a scoring position, which to me makes him very unique. And what I mean by that is he plays, he can play the game below the free throw line in a half court set because he has some sides to him. And he can take the bump. He has all of the little crafty maneuvers he can shoot floaters he has a runner he's got a little post game he's got a step back but the most important thing that he does is he can play within a set in a half court set and not only score himself but but you know score and create from others and if i was picking a team just because of his size and what he's been able to do i would definitely pick him over trey young who i like but he's a little small i think in 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 the playoffs in particular you would see his size it's going to be some problems Yep. for, you know, traditionally you've seen, you know, you don't see smaller guards that are able to play, you know, deep into the playoffs. I love Donovan Mitchell, but again, he's only six, let's get, let's say six, three, six, six three guards. Six, yeah, three. Yeah. Six, there's, three. there's no, there's no wrong answer here. No, you know? and, 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 look, look, and look, Devin, Devin Booker is a terrific score. He's a bona fide score in this league. Yep. But again, when you play and you start talking about playoffs and building a team, if I take Devin Booker's ability to score away, let's say I take that away. In the playoffs, I'm going to take something away. Let's say, you know, he's a 25, 26 game score in the playoffs. Let's say he's a 22 point score in the playoffs, which is, which is terrific, right? Will he be able to affect the game in other ways? Defensively? rebounding, assisting, and doing other things. I think Luka's game is farther along to go in the playoffs than the others. But I, all, I think all four of them are terrific young players. But I think Luka Doncic kind of stands alone if you're talking about building a franchise and, and making a draft pick. Uh, I'm with you. I, I, would, I would take Luka, you know, Devin Booker as a scorer, as a perimeter threat is – Unbelievable. Donovan Mitchell, you know, going downhill, playing in transition, playing in space. Now, obviously, with Mike Connolly beside him, is uh, on his way to having a, a terrific season yet again. Trey Young has done some absolutely incredible things in his uh, short stint in the league now, you know, a year and going on three weeks. But the total package, the size, and the experience, too. We've talked about this. Luca has been playing with professionals since he was 15 years old. So, yes, he has. Um, that's, a, that's a big difference. And um, just as a playmaker and a guy that I think can put the, the biggest imprint on a game um, because of uh, his uh, diverse skill set. It's not you know, just when I watch him. You know, we always talk about – I used to joke with Chris Mullen, uh, who I had the – the luxury of playing with for a couple years out in Golden You mean State. Flat Top Jesus? Oh, uh, yeah. Flat Top Jesus. Yes. Chris, you know, uh, that's Paulie. You know, that's what we called him, right? We called him Paulie, you know? And, <laughs> and I used to always joke with him. I was like, you know, you have a significant advantage over the rest of us. And he was like, what's that? I was like, 
when the rest of us get old, they're going to say, we lost a step. We'll never know when you lose a step. And when I watch Luka Doncic, he plays slow. <laughs> yes, he just his plays. speed. It's his just, speed. That's his speed. It's like, you know, like as a, as a defensive player, I always tried to speed up the offense, right? You know, that's when I knew I was doing my job, when I could speed you up and kind of get you out of control. He never speeds up. He just plays the game at his pace. <laughs> he's, he's always going slow. And we always talk about, oh, the playoffs, the game slows down. Well, he's already playing playoff basketball during the regular season. <laughs> so, you know, he's, I think he has an advantage. And he just reminds me of Chris Mullen. You couldn't speed him up. You know, everyone's flying around. And Chris just did what he did. He had his pace. And it was very effective for him. And he just reminds me a little bit of Chris Mullen in that way. That's funny. That's funny. Um, you know, a, another guy and a, a guy that um, pre-2017 injury, I think, was more athletic than people give him credit for. But we know how the stereotypes in this game work, especially if you are, uh, quote unquote, a, a white player in the league. But um, Gordon Hayward returned to Cleveland earlier this week. Literally almost two years to the day where his ankle and foot almost ended up on the other side of the arena. And and I'm pausing as I say this because I just flash back to watching the injury live and I've actually never watched the replay. And um, I was just envisioning Gordon laying on the floor, looking at his ankle, not knowing what to do or say. And to see him score 39 points on 17 of 20 shooting with his only misses coming from beyond the arc. So he was 16 of 16 on two-point shots the other night. And, yeah, the Cavs are going to have a rough year, but Gordon Hayward is leaps and bounds improved from where he was last season, where he did have some good games, but he just was not himself when we saw a lot of hesitation and a lot out. We've talked about this. We've talked about how long it takes for players to really, truly recover from major injuries. And um, last year was, was, was nothing like he was before the injury, but we're seeing who Gordon Hayward is now. Uh, tell me through your lens, what are the differences you're seeing? And forget my excitement. Why should the Celtics be excited about where he's at right now? Well, this is the Gordon Hayward that the Celtics thought they were getting when they signed him. And when you sustain an injury, especially a lower extremity injury like he sustained, you know, it's going to take two to three years to get back. And there's nothing you can do about the rehab process. There's nothing you can do about the, the exercises because mentally you have to overcome the injury psychologically you have to overcome the injury physically there's no replacement from getting out there and getting in the game and getting the game conditioning so i think the celtics have done a great job with him of saying you know what when they put him to the bench last year there was a lot of bickering and and you know you heard heard things of why is he going to the bench and he's not the same player but I, i i thought that was a great move for him psychologically because he had a chance to play against the bench players in this league as opposed to playing against the frontline players the starters in this league and that's great for your confidence and you know the hardest thing to come back when you come back from an injury whether it's a knee ankle uh in this case is game timing and reaction and i think this is the year where he didn't He's playing as if he's not thinking about it, but you can see his reactions are better. And the reactions and having the confidence to know that I can do what I can do, and you're back there physically and mentally, psychologically, where you want to be as a player, as a professional, is everything in this world. You know, you can be the biggest, you can be the strongest, you can be the fastest, but there's one thing, Eric, that people can't evaluate, and that's confidence. And he has the confidence now. And when you have confidence in this league, I think any player will tell you that's that's more than anything. That's more than how strong you are, how fast you are, 
how good of a shot you have, if you have the confidence in yourself to know that I can go out and accomplish X, whatever that may be, that says a lot. And I, I'm really happy for him because you never know what's going to happen. And um, you never know how that player is going to react because returning back to the place where it happened and for him to be able to have that type of game in that environment says a lot about him. It says a lot about his toughness that he was able to focus in and play through knowing what happened in that arena, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I think speaks volumes about him. And um, that's, that's a good sign for the Celtics, especially early in the season. It, it's a big hurdle to get over. And, um, you know, a lot of people and us included were wondering, A, if we'd see that player again, B, how the Celtics revamped roster would do, you know, forget losing Kyrie, right? Kemba Walker is more than capable. He's off to a terrific start and forget the comparisons, but Kemba Walker, no problem plugging that void as your lead scoring guard. But the loss of Al Horford, the loss of Marcus Morris to a lesser extent who was going to fill that front court void of shot making and of, of playmaking and Gordon's answering that bell and he's really fitting in nicely next to Jason Tatum, which is extremely important for the present and future of this team. So um, this is a great sign. You know, as we record this, the Celtics are getting ready to uh, play the Hornets on Thursday night. So not going to assume anything, but, if the game Thursday night goes as expected, the Celtics will be six and one heading into the weekend. And um, I know that makes you uh, happy, Eric. That makes you it, really happy. It, it absolutely does. I've, I've got the vintage <laughs> tee on. I'm, I'm getting ready to sink into the game. Kemble Walker will get a heck of an ovation, uh, as everyone will see uh, Thursday night. And um, you know, the seas are uh, quietly off to a, a nice start. But you know, this Gordon Hayward. Um, experience we saw it with paul george you know fans really need to temper the expectations of guys when they're coming back and you know i'm referring to the fact that you know victor oladipo pacer fans can't wait to see this guy back especially with the changes they've made on their team it's going to be a long road back for john wall from the achilles clay thompson the acl durant the achilles like fans need to realize like these guys are human beings and there's the physical to this, but there's also the, the mental and getting over that. And, you know, you hit on that with Hayward too. So um, but we'll see what happens with those guys down the road. Obviously we want to see all those players return to, to their best form. Uh, last topic for today. And, and this is, this is, this is crazy where we're at historically and how much time has gone by, but, you know, in our interview with Keith Pompey, Magic Johnson's name came up because of the, you know, the physical and the, and the skill set comparisons yeah. to, to Ben Simmons. And as we record this, November 7th, it's 28 years ago to the day that Magic Johnson announced his retirement from the NBA due to HIV. And there are certain moments in our lives that you just remember where you are. I'm not going to go into you know, political things or um, – unfortunate acts of violence that we both know what I'm referring to. I don't even want to go down that road. You know where you were. You know who it affected. Do you remember where you were, who you were with when you heard the news about magic? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I remember uh, I was in Chicago. I was at practice. Um, and I vividly remember when there was rumors, you know, like, like I heard something is going on. This was before the internet, pre-internet. And but it was that day. So it you was heard, that day. You yeah, I heard there was that a, there was gonna be an announcement of some sort that day. And I remember at practice, it kind of like, you know, hey, I heard Magic's gonna have a press conference. Do you you know what it was? And no one kind of, you know. No one knew we were there in Chicago, and I and I vividly remember I was at the barbershop getting a haircut when the announcement came. 
and it was just a shock. And I, I remember sitting there and I re, remember recalling some of my teammates and it was just a shock. And I, I remember where I was at. I was in Evanston, <laughs> Illinois, at mm-hmm. the barbershop when that happened. And it just sent shock, it sent a shockwave through the NBA for sure. And through the rest of the country, you know, I had the pleasure of knowing Magic for many years and knowing Irving and his family and having the opportunity to compete against him and to see that happen and not knowing what we know today. I mean, you got to go back some years now. We didn't have all the information that we have about HIV that we have today. So uh, there were a lot of unknowns and uh, it's amazing you know, to see what he and his family has come through and how he conducts himself. And, um, and, you know, he has the unique skill set. Every time I see him, he has the unique skill set of making me feel like I'm the most important person in the world. And I, I've admired that from him. I admired that quality about him for so many years. And uh, I'm just happy that he's continued to be happy and do what he what he does and uh, he'll always be magic to me and my family. And I remember watching him in high school. My dad took me to watch him play uh, in Lansing to watch this young guy they call Magic Johnson, (laughs) Mm -hmm. AKA Young Buck, as he was known around uh, uh, the state of of Michigan. But he was an amazing player and um, you know, I had a chance to, to to see it up close, and uh, he was he was he was a joy, and he played the game with a lot of joy, and um, you know, he's magic. Incredible! That's twenty eight years ago. Um, you know, that was your third year in the league. Do, do you re- quickly? Do you remember a, a meaningful discussion you had with a teammate at the time about that? Because so much was unknown. I mean, I was in middle school. I was. I was in the driveway doing drills. Yeah, well, mom, well I, you know, I, I do. Said, and said you got to come in the house. Like for me, it was having a conversation with you know my parents, and then it it became a topic of conversation in school and you know with our coaches and whatnot. What what was it like for you with your teammates? Yeah, well, I, I think it, it it was it was very interesting because of the look, he obviously had a relationship with players on our team and. Um, so he had reached out to his private inner circle to, you know, you know, go and share the information here. And, and I think many within that circle were aware of the announcement. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what the conversation was there. I wasn't privy to the conversation, but I know he had reached out to some guys that he felt close to in the league. And some of those guys happened to be on our team. And, um, but it was just, I, I just remember how shook everyone was. And uh, and I think out of respect to him and respect to who he was as a man, and who obviously we all know what he achieved as a player, uh, I think the privacy of that conversation should belong to those people. But definitely um, he reached out to a few people that I knew at that time in the league. and. But I think the privacy to him and the integrity of what he means to me, uh, I think he should share who those players were. Um, but again, um, you know, he's he 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 he's a special person, and uh, I'm just very. I remember I remember once when I was my first or second year in the league, him just pulling me to the side, sharing me what this league was all about, and uh, it always came back to winning. It always came back to finding out how good you really are in this league. And, um, you know, he's he's meant a lot to this league. He's meant a lot to the game and, and, and how he has played, how he played the game, how he has been a great ambassador of the game. And um, but that was a that was a very tough moment for all of us that knew him, you know, professionally and privately. I vividly remember Larry Bird saying cause they were obviously, uh, you know, and to this day, very, very good friends. And that competition, rivalry, and eventual brotherhood is something that's, you know, very unique in all the sports. But 
Bird had a game uh, the next night, and I'll never forget him saying, uh, this is the only time in my life I, I did not want to play basketball. Uh, he was so torn over it. And if you remember, there's a highlight where he throws a um, a behind-the-back pass on the break. He didn't need to throw it, but he threw it ahead to Reggie for an easy dunk, and it was an honor of magic just thinking right. of him and that being for him. And that was just a, a, that's a very clairvoyant moment uh, for me back then and uh, knowing what that bond was. And, you know, years later, you know, magic is alive. He's healthy. Uh, obviously, he had the resources to get the treatment and 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 the, and the medicine, and of course, be a, a spokesman for the cause. And uh, I'll just leave the topic with this: something that was really memorable for me was getting a chance to see the ESPN film in collaboration with the NBA, the announcement, and and seeing it. Um, you know, as part of an ESPN screenings back in the day when I was writing reviews for basketball docs and. Um, so well done, so powerful, and really painted a picture of what the cultural reaction was and then what ma- the, the situation that Magic was in afterward because he tried to come back. And, you know, he plays in the All-Star game, he plays for the Dream Team, and the, but then he tries to come back. And um, that whole stint of time from the moment he announces it in November 7, 1991, over the next few years into 93, um, is really, really interesting. So for those out there... You know, here's a little love, trivia, Eric, for you. Yeah. Um, I love you trivia. Know, I was playing with the Golden State Warriors in his first game back. You were on that team when he no-looks <laughs> pretty well? <laughs> Just say, hey, go do your well, homework, I'll, my friend. I was there. I was oh, there. Hold on. And, I'm, pulling uh, up, I'm pulling up that box. Oh, yeah, right I was now. there. Eric. Just a little trivia for you. And, uh, you know... Oh, so I, what, I, what was I, that I, like? I, I was in the form, you know, you know, it, it was, look, I've, I've known him over half my life, right? And the fact that, you know, it, every athlete, if I can share this, you know, every athlete has this window, right? Where you, you know, at some point it's going to be over, right? You know, at some point you're going to have to retire and, but the, the tough part about retiring is when you reach a level of excellence, it's not that you don't know how to do the job anymore. You just physically can't do it. And I mm. think that's something you you come to terms with as an athlete. You're like, okay, I'm 34, 35. I just can't run and jump as high as I can because of nature, right? And you come to terms with that. When you have to leave the game and you can still do it, I don't know how that works. I don't know how you, you know, because you are at such the pinnacle, you know, of your, you know, what you can do physically, you know, you mentally, you're still sharp. Your mind is still there. The competitive juices are still flowing. So I, I remember just like when I saw him, I didn't say anything. We just like hugged. And, and we moved on. And that's all I needed. That's all he needed. He didn't need me to, I mean, he's magic. He didn't need me to tell him how to play. He didn't need me to encourage him how to play. He, he I mean, look, when he did the no-look pass, even though I was on the other team, I was like, it was just, he was just happy for him. And that was the one of the first times that, you know, I, I played the game and I, I looked past the uniform, if you will. Yeah. And I was just happy for him that he had an opportunity to get back out there on that court and, and live his joy. And that's the one thing, Eric, that I cherished about playing in the NBA. No matter what was going on in my life, right, off the court, whatever problems, whatever was going on, I had a I had a place that I could touch and all my problems would go away. And for that, those 48 minutes, I was just in a complete joy. <laughs> and, and to people, and whatever your joy may be, you may be an artist, you may be a, a singer, a doctor, you know, a nurse, whatever it is you may do, a lawyer, 
finding something where you have complete joy when time really doesn't matter. And I found my joy. And to watch him find his joy, I don't think he was playing the game. I don't think he really he really cared whether he won or lost. The fact that he was just out there playing was was enough. It's that, and it's, that, it's getting into that mindset again. It's, it's getting into that mindset. And, that and, and, I'll, and I'll say this. I'll say this. There was a saying that we had in Chicago, and it started with Michael. And Michael used to always ask the rookies when they would come in every year, what is the score? And, he, and then the rookie would always look up at the scoreboard, and he would whatever say the score, and then we would give him a fine because he would always say the score is 0-0. Zero, zero. He would always mm-hmm. say that. Yep. And when I played in that game against Magic Johnson, that's when I finally understood what that meant. I, I, it was like it was the weirdest thing, and I still remember to this day because he would always say it, and we would always think it was funny. But I, I was like, I was like, God, that's an interesting way to walk, to play the game of basketball. Like, who's not playing the game and keeping score? <laughs> like, like I'm yep. keeping score. I won ten nine or whatever the score may be. I was keeping score, and he would and he would always say that. And when I played that game, it occurred to me like, oh, he plays the game with a joy. That it's just the joy of it. Like the joy of competition is more impactful than like whether I win or lose or whether I had a good game or not. Because you saw Magic doing something that was just like it was it was phenomenal. And and I remember playing the game and and that was it. And uh, it was a great game. Magic. I remember he had the no look away and 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 the form went crazy. You know, it was the fabulous form. Oh. It was Every, a lot of energy in the Everybody building. went crazy. Oh, can you, yeah, imagine, can you imagine crazy. seeing fan reactions if social media was around back then, it, it, around it, the it country? Was, it, was, uh, it was one of those moments I remember, but I, I vividly remember going, now I understand what zero zero means. And, and I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it was one of those moments where, like, it was like, you know how you get that clearly? You get that, that, moment <laughs> I, that was my moment yeah. i saw it i i just saw a man playing the game with that joy so that was my magic johnson story from my golden state warrior days yeah and just you know to, quickly to wrap i i can't ignore this i've got the box score up and this is a who's who of 90s nba real quick so that night for the warriors you started <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, but yes. <laughs> Tim Hardaway came off the bench. But you start that game with uh, Latrell Sprewell, Joe Smith, uh, the late Jerome Kersey, may he rest in peace, and um, everybody's favorite South Beach DJ, uh, Ronnie Cycli. Psycho! And, and off the bench is Tim Hardaway, who ends up with 24 points. Um, flat top Jesus, Chris Mullen. I believe that was his last year before going to Indiana. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. And then Chris Gatling, who was a very good player that oh, the Gat Gun people today don't know about. Numbers, yeah. He had 21 and eight that night. And yeah. then uh, Clifford Rozier and John Barry. Yep. That yes. was that was that was the Warriors that night. And the Lakers was Cedric Sabalos, who goes 15 for 18 for 33 points. Magic, I would love to know how many uh, assists he had to said that night. Vladi and Eldon Campbell up front. Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones in the backcourt. And then Magic comes off the bench with 19, 10 assists, 8 rebounds in 27 minutes, along with the dynamic duo of Anthony Peeler and Sedale three with George Lynch <laughs> and Eric Strong rounding out the box score. That is a back to the nineties that we never could have planned. That's awesome. Uh, that's it. All right, my friend. Great stuff. You got Great it. show today. Great weekend ahead in the NBA Friday night. Be sure to keep an eye on Philly, Denver, Milwaukee, Utah, Brooklyn at Portland and Miami at the Lakers. Terrific stuff ahead for BJ Armstrong. Producer Mike Lieber, Bruce Bernstein, the rest of the Pure Hoops Media team, thank you. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show dropping each and every Monday. Very special episode coming up this Monday, part one of Mike's sit-down with David Stern. Catch and shoot 2.0 on the way back. Stay tuned for that. 
buckets, boards, and blocks with Monica McNutt Thursdays and BJ and I with the Pure Hoops podcast coming at you now as often as possible, twice a week, Tuesday and Friday. Have a great weekend, everybody. And of course, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.